everyone. Welcome to Rogue Table Talk. Number 20. Number 20. Number we 20. are having an episode. Woo! Episode number 20. Episode number 20. <laughs> that is Mike Sherman. <laughs> we have one episode a week, at least. <laughs> we have a planned episode, <laughs> uh, and then we have other episodes, yes. unplanned. So, yes. uh, yeah, number 20, and we are in a new series in the church. And so, we're again, we're going to be following along a little bit of that Um message format, but kind of taking some different uh, turns as we go and different talking points. And so the series is called Jesus Unexpected. And the uh, reason we're doing this series is kind of the premise that we all have preconceived notions. Uh, When we come to the Bible, we all have preconceived notions about Jesus. Even if we've been a Christian for a long time, we can still have notions about Jesus because we're 21st century Western suburbanites for the most part, and Jesus lived in a ancient Eastern um, Jewish context. Um, so it's not that we can't know him, it's just that often he's breaking through our preconceived notions and it's unexpected. Oh, I thought I knew Jesus like that, but I keep relearning him and I keep learning him in a new light. And there's always something that he's challenging us on as Christians. So would you say that's, that's where we're, the heart yeah. of this message yeah. is? Yeah. And so I, it makes me wonder about the unexpected, do we give room for now for Jesus to be unexpected? Do we give room for God to be unexpected or do we have a box that he needs to stay in for us to feel comfortable like, what do we feel? Um, what's our emotional response to Jesus will probably surprise me or God will, will, will be unexpected in this way. Is that, am I okay with that? And if not, what's behind mm. that impulse? That's mm-hmm. just the first thing that occurs to me. Like, I do feel like, you know, yeah, sure. Jesus is unexpected, but at an emotional level, uh, do I, you know, ooh. I like that a lot. That's, that could be like a banner question for the series. Like, yeah. are we willing to be surprised by yeah. Jesus? Even yeah. however long we've been at the game. Right. Yeah. He's infinite. He's God. So, you know, it's never going to be something that we fully have surrounded. You know, like you know, our relationship with God is not something that's, and you don't, you, if you know, if you've been married for a long time or I mean, people People are unexpected. It's a great, great analogy. Right, of course. So can we give room for, because otherwise you're not really, I'm not sure you're really open to whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you if everything has to fit into your idea already, right? It's it's cliche, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. And oftentimes in relationships, I see this all the time, there's a ceiling that people think they know about each other. Mm -hmm. But as we journey deeper in relationships, we actually get to know each other, yeah. even get to know parts of ourselves. like, oh, right. I never, yeah. and that's unexpected. And so, of course, that would happen in yeah. our relationship with God, who is, as you said, infinite. Yeah. So in this, uh, in this particular um, time together, we're going to be talking about Jesus as the one who broke the rules. Jesus, the rule breaker. Rebel uh, Jesus. Rebel Jesus. <laughs> uh, he was, if you will, unexpected by the religious people of his day. He did unexpected things. Could we say rogue Jesus? He did I don't, rogue that, stuff. That? <laughs> he went rogue. Uh, and uh, just a couple qu- passages, and there's many that are like this that get us kicked off, uh, where Jesus uh, broke the Sabbath rules in Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, 
Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, there's a lot there. Let me jump to one more. Luke 6, 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, all, looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. So here's two of many examples of Jesus doing unexpected things uh, on the Sabbath. And uh, in the second case, and that's um, in Luke 6, we see, they were filled, filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And, you know, was one of the main things that led the religious elites of the day to um, reject Jesus as, you know, obviously he's not the Messiah. He keeps breaking the Sabbath. He keeps doing these things. Um, so what, let's, what, what was going on with the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sabbath? I mean, what is, what is all of that? That's unfamiliar to us today. Yeah, and uh, it is a little unfamiliar to us today, um, and and you can speak to this as well. We probably come at it with similar, uh, different angles, but get to the similar place. Is uh, the their desire, their passionate desire, was to be faithful to Torah, to keep mm-hmm. Torah, right? And uh, one of the challenges uh, with that, so the impulse is good. That's a right. good. That's a yep. good impulse to that's be right. faithful to the commands they want to of keep God. The law. Yeah, we have to say this before we even say. You know, we're talking about rules, we have to say this about when we're talking about commands of God. Uh, those are good. Those right. are the Ten Commandments are still yeah, good things. Good things, right. wonderful. That there's there's commands. Uh, we don't want to get this false notion. That's just really slipshod thinking of. Oh well, the Old Testament's all about rules. The New Testament's all about grace. There's mm-hmm. no rules in the New Testament. Right. Well, that's just not true. Right. There's a lot of commands in the New right. Testament. You, you know? don't need grace if there's no rules. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Love your neighbor. Right. Forgive your right. brother from the heart. Right. Be right. compassionate. Those are all actually imperatives or yeah. commands. Um, but when we take those as the Pharisees did, and I'm going to steal a definition from uh, a book on legalism from Jerem Bars, when we take those and we want to make them more specific and then more universal, like more specific as in, well, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? Like, don't you think we should be really clear for people what it means to keep the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Um, then we can spell it out for them and then they can know I'm keeping the Sabbath. And then, so that's more specific, then we can hold everyone to that standard. Right. Like, we'll just make it universal now where everyone should keep these more specific rules about keeping the Sabbath. So to me, it's a helpful distinction of uh, commands of God and then, uh, legalism, which would be the uh, 
rules that we want to add to the commands mm-hmm. of God or take mm-hmm. the commands of God and say, well, I don't know how to keep, I don't know what that means. So let me just write down this list of exact things that that means and make it a rule, which always actually always ends up elevating the rule above the command mm-hmm. uh, is, is the yeah. one of the f- flaws of legalism. But maybe you can speak to why, like, so they had this passion intent, but the mm-hmm. context for them coming out of that second temple Judaism, but right. you know. Well, if you read the Old Testament, the history of, uh, the of God's people in the Promised Land, uh, leading up to the exile, they kept breaking the Sabbath. They kept worshiping idols. They kept becoming indistinguishable from the people around them. Uh, we went through that when we talked about judges, and they would begin to do all the same things that the people around them were doing. Uh, and they would wander away and, and there would be punishment and, and God would raise up a judge and so on. And this thing happened all through the kings. The, you know, all, mostly the kings were uh, not great and uh, the, the law wasn't followed. The Sabbath wasn't kept. Uh, the sacrifices weren't made, so on. Uh, and as a result, finally, they're taken into exile. So when they come back, it looks like there's an overcorrection. We mm-hmm. can't let that happen again. That's good. Right? Yeah, overcorrection. So, um, let's, instead of, you know, we can't leave it to chance, mm-hmm. this sort of this thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we have to not only keep the Sabbath, but we have to know that we're keeping the Sabbath. We yeah. have to make sure, I have to know you're keeping it, right? And you have to look at me and say, you're keeping the Sabbath. And so what you do is you develop hundreds of rules about what it means to keep the Sabbath or what breaks the Sabbath or so on. Um, and so it, it, it comes from a good place often, uh, it did. It seems like in that they want to be conscientious to keep the law, um, but in doing so, I mean, you can't. You just can't keep the law that way. Yeah, I mean, right. It, it, but just it, it might be a good intention, but it just it doesn't work. Um, and as you said, we create rules, and then the rules become the point. If you know, it's whatever you're measuring that gets noticed, mm-hmm. right? And so you mm-hmm. measure whether you're keeping the rule or not. And all of God's commands are first, I would say, uh, to the heart. Like if my heart is not where God wants it to be, I'm not keeping the command, no matter what I'm doing outwardly. Like it's not, I'm not an automaton, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to, um, to utter the words, I forgive you, is actually different from being forgiving in my heart yeah, good. and releasing that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so what is, how do I know if I've forgiven somebody, how does somebody else, it's really kind of slippery yeah. because you know, you have to re-forgive people because then you get, you're reminded of it and the pain comes back and you have to let go of it again. And it's not, you can't, you just can't develop a set of rules to make sure I know I've forgiven the person. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing with the Sabbath. I just can't, I can't keep God's law by a set of rules, and yet they're very attractive. Yeah, yeah, it's attractive because we, I, I think it's almost intuitive in the human condition for someone to say, you know, oh, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, right. mind, strength. Seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The first, at least maybe it says to me, okay, well, but what does that mean? 
Right. What does that mean for me? How do I do like, that? What, does it, how do, what does that look like? How do I mm-hmm. do that? And then what we want to do is we typically want to start to spell that out. Well, it looks like this and it looks like this and this mm-hmm. and this and this. And some of the dangers in that is not that I just usually apply that to me. I start to take what, you know, maybe my uh, whiteboard of, you know, what this looks like for me or my storyboard. And then I start to apply it to you. That's one of the dangers of, I need rules because it makes me feel safe. makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. I'm achieving something. Right. Um, and then what I typically want to do is I'm going to impose these upon you. So take the, take the spiritual disciplines, for instance, mm-hmm. I, I'm a fan of the spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. I really am. Uh, cultivating time away to pray, read your Bible, worship, give, that all of these are mm-hmm. disciplines, be mm-hmm. with community. Um, but sometimes the danger comes in and well, okay, if I need to have what used to be called a quiet time, I don't know what the lingo is today. Right. <laughs> what do people say? Have my devotions Devotion, or something? Right. Well, that needs to look, it needs to be first thing in the morning. Cause that it's a priority that you want to show God you're doing it first thing in the morning. And mm-hmm. when you do it and um, you know, you need to, you have to do this. You have to read. Here's the formula. Here's the form. Here's yeah. the formula. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's the biggest picture yeah. danger is it becomes so formulaic mm-hmm. that then what you said, you're now checking off faithfulness as did I have my devotion as opposed to is my devotion pointing me to become more Christ-like and love Christ? Like yeah. that's the point. Right. But when we make it a rule to say you have to do this, mm-hmm. then it becomes, that's my measure. Yeah. So that's the dilemma that we that we live in where we have commands to follow. The impetus or the impulse will be to, how do I follow them? How do I know I'm following them? So how do I... Um, do that? How do I do that without rules? And if I have rules, don't I necessarily become a legalist? And what's the answer to that dilemma? Yeah. Um, and I would, you know, part of my answer would be, we're probably, I mean, and again, this is sort of where I'm coming from theologically, but I don't think it's possible to fully, truly keep every, any command a hundred percent like Jesus would keep it. Like, I don't think we're we're made for that. So we're, we're never able to say, yeah, I'm keeping this rule. We're always in the sense of I'm striving to be faithful in Christ's Christ's strength, the power of the Holy spirit. I'm, you know, being transformed. I'm taking actions to be transformed, but it's difficult to measure. Yeah. It's difficult to know I'm doing it well. And, um, it's a little more subjective, which makes us nervous yeah. and uncomfortable. Like right. it feels like, huh, I feel like I should have some sort of standard to know that it, it's, it just makes sense that, you know, if I'm going to become a, you know, cosmetologist, I have to go get certified or whatever. Right. Um, which, you know, I'm not thinking about right now, but I was going to say, why did that pop into your head? Whatever. Uh, and we, you know, how do I be certified as a, you know, level seven maturity Christian or whatever? Like there's something about that, that I kind of want to know how I'm doing. Well, do you think it has something to do a little bit with, um, so there's this universal human condition that's a part of it. Uh, but then like culturally, 
we live in the achievement success centered um, culture. And so here is, here is how I become a good Christian. Like I need to do these things successfully. I need to, do, I need to achieve these things. I need yeah. to climb the ladder. I need yeah. to climb yeah. when it seems to me like Jesus is mostly about not ascent, like climbing ascent, mm-hmm. but descent. Like, Oh right. no, the way upward is down. Like humility, um, sacrifice, yeah. um, laying what do I need to life? let go of? What do I need to surrender? Than, yeah. Like that's all downward movements. Um, and to me, the rules seem to lead in a ascent type way. Right. So it's extremely countercultural because really not very much else in life works this way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that that's, it's not universally. I mean, you're, it's hard to operate your marriage or your relationship with your children by a set of rules. Sure. Like, how do I know I'm a good husband? I do this, I do this, I do that. I'm a, how do I know I'm a good father? Yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever. And some people do that, I suppose. Like, <laughs> you know, I've been to all of my kids' practices. Like, well, okay. Not everyone can do that. I'm not sure. You're visible. That's You're visible. something to start you know, with. What does sure. your kid think of that? You may not really totally appreciate that level of involvement. <laughs> Oversight. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> Might not be as psyched about it as you are. Um, but we, there's some appeal in that. But we all know we live in a, there's areas of our life where we, it's, we accept we can't measure it. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, there's not a score. There's not a husband score mm-hmm. or a father score or a friend score. Um, to some degree, we we live with that, but we kind of want there to be not a score, but a measure, something, right? Yeah. What What do you think? So I, I tend to think two thoughts. I tend to think um, that uh, Jesus ha- had kind of deep-seated, visceral responses to the rules that were added to the commands. You kind of mm-hmm. see him repeat right. this. You know, Isaiah said, you guys give lip service, right. but your hearts, your hearts aren't are even close. Right. And then, you know, John the Baptist, your brood of vipers, right. you know, you, and then the woes in Matthew 23, there's this deep-seated response against these rules. Why? Mm-hmm. Like, why, what, what, what would cause Jesus to right. be so Yeah, well, think about, upset. What, think about what, that, what our rules do is they distort what God has called, you know, the way God has called us to be, the life he calls us to. There's no way we can make rules that don't distort that true calling, true picture. And then we sort of, since it's a rule, we kind of say, thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. We're in a sense bearing false witness about, a life God wants us to live. Like in order to keep the Sabbath, you've got to do this and you can't do that. And, and I think God, God is saying, Jesus is saying, no, I didn't say any of that. Right. That's not right. That didn't, it wasn't me. Yeah, don't put those words <laughs> in my mouth. That's right. Um, those are your rules. Mm-hmm. And Jesus in fact said that, that you keep, you know, the tradition of men in favor of uh, the law. Um, and I think that's almost I think it's necessarily what rules will do. They will distort, and by keeping the rule, in a sense, we're just we're keeping a distorted version of mm, what yeah. God wants us to do. And so that is the, you know, uh, um, there's a sense in which it's un, there's an unavoidable dilemma in which yeah, to grow, I need to be intentional 
and take action and think about and self-evaluate, but I can't form a set of rules that, you know, right? Yeah, it's a dilemma that's, that, that is the in. dilemma. And that's the tension, the paradox. There is this, this doesn't, there's no promotion of passivity in the Bible. Right. There's no promotion right. of, um, um, you know, uh, what is it? Antinomianism is that the technical right. word right. where no law, everything's right. grace, yeah. everything's grace. There's no law. I don't, I, right. I don't have to do anything. Right. Everything is grace. All that means mm-hmm. is I'm reminded of the passage in uh, Corinthians where Paul says, you know, I worked harder than anybody, mm-hmm. but it wasn't me. It was grace. Mm-hmm. So there's this yes. And both. And I, mm-hmm. I did it. Like I planned it. I responded well, but really that wasn't me. That, yeah. that was grace. Right. Right. Like, that was grace through yeah. me. So that's, Paul managing the dilemma of an active, intentional, fruitful, hardworking, yet all the fruit is by grace. Yes, all life. Grace. Um, so, however, uh, we struggle with that. And yeah. in fact, I think it is somewhat inevitable that we become or we struggle with being some version of, of Pharisee, right? Um, the, um, the, 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 the Christian, the American Christian scene of, oh, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, in some circles was, um, you know, it would take the biblical instruction of keep yourself separate from the world. Mm-hmm. And it would then, in a sense, create a whole bunch of rules around it. Right. Uh, and I didn't grow up in the church, but I know people who grew up in that culture where it's, you don't go to movies, not any movies, because you're supporting, you know, Hollywood, which is evil. You don't play cards. You don't smoke. You don't drink. You don't dance. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my grandparents' upbringing for right, sure. You don't listen to rock. You don't listen to any loud music, anything with a, whatever the beat structure, right? You know, that's evil. So in all of that, in a sense, you can understand, yeah, we want to be different. Uh, we don't want to be, um, you know, we want to be a separate from the world and the way in which we're commanded to be. So here's the plan. Here's how we'll do it. Here's yeah. the 17 things that we do or don't do that follows along. Um, so you say your grandparents grew up in that? Yeah, grandparents. And and we had a little bit of that um, in my own upbringing uh, because th- it was, yeah, what does it mean to be separate? For th- separate yeah. from the world was a really big deal. Yeah, that's like right. You, you don't want to be stained with the world. That was a really big deal. So it, it was definitely a cultural you know, for us, it wasn't movies, but it was R-rated movies. Uh, it was media, songs, all that stuff. Uh, it was friends. Like, oh, yeah. you got to be really careful around yeah. bad company. Bad company corrupts good morals. Uh-huh. So you don't want right. to be friends with someone who's, right. you know, yeah. bad person. Uh, clothe, clothes, clothing. Um, basically, out of that came this whole Christian subculture. Right. So that's of, what it creates. Yeah. You know, there's a subculture of this is who we are, this is what we do. And then of course, that's what we get known for. We right? have bracelets and t-shirts and this is our own music and everything else. And then we don't have to interact with the world at all because we've brought everything that the Christian teenager wants to the Christian teenager. To me, here, and here's the real tragedy, and try to con- I'm trying to connect this back to the first passage you read. The real tragedy with that is are you called to be countercultural? Absolutely. In the way that Jesus was countercultural. Well, in what sense? 
well, he loved people. He had relationships with them. He taught them truth, but he, he was on journey with them in life, as opposed to I'm going to, I've got to stay away from you guys. That's actually the whole problem with the rule in the first passage you read. Mm -hmm. They use the rules and Jesus says this at the end, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. He's chastising them for condemning the disciples right. because that's what the rule will do. Right. You don't keep right. up the rule and right. it's going to invite my condemnation of you. Right. That is, um, that's one of the tragedies of you know, adding to God's commands and making up all these rules to follow is mm-hmm. you use them to exclude people. Yeah. You're out. Yeah, right. Yeah, you use them to exclude, you identify, you use them to identify yourself and therefore you use them to exclude people because, yeah. you know, by the very nature of the rules, people outside the rules are the other people. Um, and then I think what the Pharisees did in, in these passages that, that we read in other passages is that they missed the actual God they were pretending hoping to, you know, in the best sense of the word that they were hoping to obey, worship, honor, that God actually appeared in front of them. And because he wasn't operating Hmm. by the same set of rules, Hmm. they missed it. So they, you know, they killed the one they claimed to worship and honor and obey above all else. So like you said, the rules don't only distort the life that you've been called to live, but the life giver. Right. Where you you get so entrenched in the rules, you really do get a distorted view of who God is. That's right. Yeah, and so we, when God might show up in some unexpected way that doesn't fit our rules, we will likely miss him or mm-hmm. not see him or not be open to seeing him. We'll not be opening, open to hear what might be God's words from an unlikely source because, oh, that's, that doesn't fit my, my picture, my rule or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you want to you know, going back from the separate from the world sort of pharisaical impulse, you want to honor the, yeah, I do need to struggle what that, with what that means to not be indistinguishable from the people around me. Uh, but the reality is I'm probably going to make that rule keeping easier than the actual reality of mm-hmm. not, you know, so uh, what's my attitude towards money? Am I generous? Am I open-handed? That's countercultural. Well, that's hard though. And it's hard to have a rule for that. Um, you know, what's my, uh, what's my attitude towards those who are on the other side of an issue? Am I, uh, generous with, you know, um, their words? Do I, do I, um, give them the benefit of the doubt? Am I open? Even if they're not, mm-hmm. that's countercultural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a way in which we can separate ourselves from the world. Uh, and that's a lot harder and a lot deeper in a sense in ways it's not, we're not fully ever going to be able to keep that, that law. Right. Uh, and so it's sort of, it, it runs against having a rule. Cause once again, once you have a rule, you're not going to make a rule you can't keep. Right. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> or that you can't have potential. If you're going to make a rule, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. You know, so um, that's, so there's that, there's one, you know, one side of the, the rulemaking. But the other, there's an other side of the rulemaking, which is like what you said, that is, I can become a no rules Pharisee. Mm-hmm. 
Like everything is beneficial is what, yeah. as Paul said, right. Now, you know, if I had somebody try you know, explaining to me, well, you know, Paul said everything's beneficial. Okay. But what does that mean to you? Does that mean nothing matters? That it doesn't matter what you do? That you can murder somebody? They also said crucify the flesh. So (laughs) Right, right. So that might be cherry picking a little bit. But it's like this sense of, well, I don't want to be that. So I'm being this instead. And I almost become a different sort of Pharisee. Like a different sort of anybody who has a rule. Uh and that's where, for me, I, you know, the whole, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I get what people are saying, mm-hmm. but it's also a religion. <laughs> I actually like the word religion, so I that's, always take a little issue with that yeah, I mean, statement. If, I get it, too. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, we, we want to react against bad religion we, or empty religion or formless religion yeah. or this other sort of rules religion, the Pharisees. But if I overreact then it's formless and directionless. Yeah, there's like, okay, let's just abandon all structure since we're on this yeah. point. And, and the way I word it is like this. God was never and is never against ceremony, yes. against the, the gathering together right. and the structure and the rhythm and the sacred calendar, if yeah. you will. It, he's against hypocrisy. Yeah. That's the thing he takes issue with. It's not you guys came together and all these rituals are bad. It's that you came together and your heart's not in it. Right. And then you're leaving and you don't, the criticism through the prophets is you're not living well. You're not living mm-hmm. with justice and mercy in mind. Right. You're not taking care of your, uh, the poor, or the right. outcast. Right. It's all about you. And you think going through the motions is right. what's going to make you right with that's me. That's right. So it's not religion. That's the problem. It's empty religion or hypocritical religion or, or formless religion. But I, I do think that's true. What you said that we become the everything's beneficial person. I think sometimes we get the notion about that, about Jesus, like yeah. Jesus, like yeah. we were joking at the beginning, but Jesus is rebel Jesus. Like he just did anything. <laughs> you know, he, he was the guy who came in and just frustrated the Pharisees. That's not exactly true. He did undermine their legalism and attacked mm-hmm. it head on. Um, but he was faithful to the law. Yeah. He kept the right. Sabbath. That's the trick. Right. He was faithful yeah. to the law right. because he, he, he expressed, he's the expressor of the law. Right. So he's faithful to all these things. Yeah. That's where the commands are, again, are good and healthy and life-giving. Just read Psalm 119. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a love affair right. with God's yeah, commands. The beauty of the law. Yeah. It's right. a wonderful thing. Yeah. I think that, so it's a dilemma and I do feel like, um, a lot of the, we've talked about in the last series, the sort of deconversion movement, the de-churched movement. And a lot of that I think comes from reacting against the hypocrisy if the emptiness, the betrayal of true religion by, by religious people. Uh, but it's an over, just like the Pharisees overcorrected, mm-hmm. it's an overcorrection yeah. to where not, I'm throwing the whole thing out. None of that. I mean, in, and even though they may not get to a point where they're actually rejecting any of the truth claims of Christianity, they're rejecting, you know, the church, anything to do with the church, religious people, whatever. And then you get to the, you know, my Jesus wouldn't, you know, wouldn't uh, exclude this person or my Jesus would do that or, and, you know. My Jesus always said nice things. My Jesus Something always said like nice that. things. Right. And when we don't have a Jesus, I mean, there is a Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's not yeah. ours. You know, we are his. It's the other way around. 
and he's going to surprise us. He's going to be unexpected for all of us. And what does that actually mean to follow him? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think, so there's this, in a sense, an a, in a understandable reaction against something that's bad. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, you know, Phariseeism tends to be an overcorrection, an overreaction against not enough law or too much law. Right. Which, which, you know, so we're saying it's not this one thing, but it's not the other in the spectrum. And to me, the gospel is something altogether different. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a whole nother plane. Right. P-L-A-N-E, if you mm-hmm. will. It's right. a, it's not, Dimension. here's the rules, here's no rules. And what do I do with all this? What That's, transcends that dichotomy? Yeah, it's yeah. actually, I am invited to keep a standard that I can't do. Right. And the moment I get to that realization that I can't do it, now I'm in gospel living of, yeah. oh, this is all going to be an inner transformation of God through me. And it's going to be a dependency upon God uh, to lead through me to even live out what obedience to Jesus might mean and look like and faithfulness. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, and that's whatever, whatever reminds us of that reality on a regular basis should be part of some of our spiritual practices so that we're living you know, we're at least reminded of the truth. You know, the, the Lord's prayer is, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's a recognition, regular recognition that stuff's broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and forgive me as I forgive those who sin against me. I'm a sinner. Other people are sinners. I have to be, I need forgiveness. I need to give forgiveness. That's the reality of the situation. There's no rule that's going to, you know, there's no magic wand. There's no course I'm going to take. There's no sermon series. There's no anything that's going to keep me from that reality mm-hmm. um, in which whatever, you know, whatever God's expectations or commands are, they're unkeepable. I mean, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm, right. And you feel like, no, I pretty much got that. You down. should be crushed. Right. You should be crushed. You should be crushed. You should, like that's overwhelming. <laughs> are you kidding me? So, Blessed yeah. are the pure in heart. Yeah. All right, let me figure that one out. <laughs> right. That's, you know, you didn't get to the Beatitudes and you're, and you're out. Um, and so I do feel like that's, that's the dilemma of, uh, and it's, I think, a dilemma for us in the church as church leaders and as teachers. We want to concretely help people grow. Yeah. And the temptation is, okay, this is what spiritual growth looks like. This is what it is. These are the four steps, the three steps, the nine steps, whatever it might be. Yeah, if you're involved this much in the church activities and yeah. whatever we right. tend to hold right. up right. as important, yeah. people probably yeah. tend to interpret as, well, this is what it means to, this be, is a what it means to be faithful. Yeah. And I think it's a somewhat of a dilemma because we, we do want to encourage some action. Right. Right. We, you know, there are some things to do some ways to respond, you know, regular attendance is good. Worship is good. Being in community is good. Serving is good. Giving is good. All of these things are good. We should encourage you to do that. That is the the dilemma of the case. Uh, But, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it a formula for being mature as as a believer. Right. 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 Pharisees would have probably checked better at us. Yeah. Than all that. All they would have checked all the boxes Mm -hmm. and they hated Jesus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The actual Jesus who showed up, the unexpected one. Um, okay. So here's another sort of Pharisee uh, 
Oh, Jacob's giving us a 35 minute thing. We already, already got the hand. Wow. The that seems time fast. signal I know. from. I know it. We got to, we got to quote unquote Jacob. Right. We got so much more awesome stuff to say. You know, maybe I don't know what we're going to do. Should we check him on that? Is yeah, he, is probably, he just, he just wants to I got to go somewhere <laughs> and it's been 35 minutes. It's <laughs> yeah, been 15. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's another, I think a couple other sort of Pharisees that we can run across or be, and I'm using the word Pharisee, obviously sort of loosely or whatever. But I think a very modern, um, you know, sort of, you need to follow your passion, follow your heart, follow your nose, follow your dreams. You know, if you're not doing that, then, you know, you can't really be living at the life God wants you to live sort right. of thing. Right. Um, and I think there is some sense or some pressure maybe people feel that, okay, what is, how does, how does that translate? Because in, in some people's minds, if it's hard or if I don't like every second of it, or if I don't feel awesome and fulfilled every moment, yeah. well, this can't be God's will for me. I think that's a great point. And the danger, what I hear in that, the danger is once I start to make my story your story, mm-hmm. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Like we're in trouble. That's like right. there may be a person who they're following their passion and their intuition, and that's how God works in their life. And da 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 da. But people are different. Right. And. I hear what you're saying too. The guardrail on that is that doesn't mean everything works out great. Right. Yes. And, and but the problem is we tend to tell the story of, even if we're the storyteller, we leave out all the bad parts. We leave out all the bad parts. <laughs> That's the danger is the yeah. standard for me now becomes, I'm going to put that on you as yeah. opposed to, well, that person's different and yeah. their expression of the character and the uniqueness of God and the creativity of God mm-hmm should look different than me. That's a good thing. Right. Your experience should be different. And of course, Paul, I mean, everyone in the Bible, great hardship, you know, suffering. Yeah. um, uh, That we see that obviously it's not maybe the picture that we see. So a couple more things. There's a, there's, there's um, rules in, in areas of uh, freedom. Like, should I do this? Should I do that? What movie should I watch? Is it okay to drink alcohol at all? How much? Is it okay to do this or do that or whatever? And I do think that it's important to note that that the, what might be an, uh, actually a good guideline for me, it may not that may not be True. for you. Right. You know, Paul talked about that, and you know, the people asked about should we eat meat that's sold in the marketplace? Some of it might have been sacrificed to an idol, and you know, the answer is, and what on the one hand, it's a block of wood. You know, eat the right. meat, it's fine. You know, there's nothing, there's no evil spirit in the meat. You can eat the meat. On the other hand, if you, if your conscience is troubled by mm-hmm. that, yeah. if you used to serve in the temple or whatever, and you use something you can't do, then for you, it is wrong to eat the meat because yeah. you're violating your own conscience. Whatever yeah. isn't from faith is sin. I think that's a very difficult balance for us to walk. Yeah. I think we're going to, we're, we're bound to go at, at times we will eat meat. We shouldn't eat telling ourselves mm-hmm. I have freedom. Mm-hmm. And at other times um, we will potentially try to condemn someone for making a different choice yeah. one way or the other. Where there's a, what we call a Christian Liberty and right. we choose not to indulge in that liberty right. for whatever reasons. You know, right. I don't want to drink alcohol because alcoholism runs in my family or, yeah. or whatever. whatever. Like that's be. my wisdom choice. Right. It's a liberty, which means it's not a law. Yeah. But then we start to look at the other person. That's right. That's right. Uh, and, and use, yeah. you know, use, and they, they want to express their liberty. Well, 
Yeah. I'm uncomfortable with that. Right. It becomes a standard yeah. or a rule. Right. Some uh, One passage that... Um, Such think, a good passage. It's a good passage in Colossians 2. And the whole chapter is is really around this idea of adding rules to our faith. And the, the, the chapter ends this way. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There's a lot there in that passage. You know, he's not saying don't have rules. He's talking about rules according to human precepts and teachings and so on. But the, for me, the punchline is it has the appearance of wisdom, mm -hmm. but it has no value. It doesn't actually, it can't, it doesn't have the power to keep you from indulging, even if you keep the rule, even if you keep, even if you keep the rule, it yeah. has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is one of my favorite, and there's a longer passage. One of my favorite passages about um, liberty and anti-legalism, mm -hmm. because this is one of those core issues about legalism. You can make a rule adding to God's commands. This is what it means to be faithful Christian, and it can't do anything to kill right. the sinful nature. It, does it not just help. can't do it yeah. because it's not, um, it's man-made. Right. Its origins is in man, so it doesn't have the divine power to kill the sinful nature. Uh, one, you know, example that I, I brought up the other day was, you know, there's this idea of modesty among mm -hmm. teenagers yeah. for Christians. And I would just say this, a lot of legalism actually happens um, from teaching and often parents to children and teenagers. Uh, maybe a good impulse is we want to protect you. We want to make sure that you grow up a good person and don't get hurt. And I understand that. But then we carve out oh, you can't have any unbelieving friends and mm -hmm. those people are this. And then mm -hmm. if we start to make all these rules, often that's where legalism shows mm -hmm. up the strongest is in those formative years. But let's say there's this idea of, you know, Christians should be modest. So at a church camp or something, they they don't want the girls to have, uh, you know, bikinis on. Mm -hmm. You have to wear one piece and a t-shirt because, and, and often the reasoning will go something like this, because you got these young teenage boys right. and right. everybody knows right. young teenage boys, right. hormones and right. all this stuff. What they're really saying is there is a sinful tendency there and it's called lust. Okay. We mm -hmm. can, we'll go there fine. Um, but if you can cover up the girl's body in such a way, it will actually stop the lust. Mm -hmm. And you and I both know mm -hmm. it can't do that. All right. It doesn't work that way. Right. It might be somewhat preventatively helpful. And I'm right. just, just example. I'm not saying right. right or wrong. Right. But it cannot kill lust. Right. It just can't do it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a dilemma we live in in a culture that's, that's drifting away from Christianity. Uh, because if you were going to have a pool party for a youth event and you were going to invite unbelievers, well, yeah. what do you think they're wearing? Right. And so what do you do about that? And there's no, there's no rule you can make that solves that dilemma. You have right. to figure out how to live in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me maybe close. I'm going to read this C.S. Lewis quote from mere Christianity. Uh, and Jacob, can we put this quote in the, also in the show notes? Um, uh, and it's, it sort of speaks to this, 
this tendency of ours and really what the real, what real, the real heart of Christianity is. He says, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time to be good. We're all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to pave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is what exactly what Christ warned us that you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and resown. Yeah, mic drop. See, yes, yes. my West <laughs> in the house. So, and that's, that's really, a, in a sense, an exposition of what Paul wrote in Colossians 2. The rule has no power to change grass to wheat, and that's really yeah. what it's transformation we should be about. The rule has no power to make me more like Christ. Yeah. Uh, and I got to grieve that. <laughs> in fact, it'll probably make me a more dehumanized yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah, I have to be, as he said poetically, plowed up. And plowed up. And resown. Plowed up and resown. That's so good. That's right. Uh, and that is the spiritual growth process. It's daily death and then daily yeah. rebirth. It's that uh, crucifixion yeah. resurrection right. cycle. Yes. So on that happy and encouraging yeah. note. <laughs> You're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be a great series. Yeah, I can I'm tell excited already. about it. So yeah. uh, with that, we hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.